You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I am the host. Yes. I am the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I'm going to shave my head, Petey. Remember, what's wrong with shaving your head? I don't need it to be cold, thank you. (laughs) Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports E-Magazine and the world. Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, I don't understand. I know it's cold outside, but I think you would possibly look better no. than your greasy hair. I no. Mean, what, what's wrong? I'm not with having my head? head shaved. Have you ever shaved your head before? No, only the sides. But I've had short hair before, like buzz cut when I was a kid. I, but then I didn't really like it. I stopped doing it. So why don't we while. make a bet? If we pick out a, a particular game or a particular player to score a certain amount of points in a particular game next week, if you lose... No, I'm not doing a buzz cut. You have to buzz your head. No, I'm not doing that. Why not? I don't want, I don't care. What do you mean you don't care? I'm wearing, I don't like that style, and it makes me cold. It makes you cold. So yeah. you can't put on one of your crazy, weird hats that you usually wear in the wintertime? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put on that hat the whole time Yeah, why that happens. Why not? It's I'm not taking it off. It's about springtime, almost. It's around the corner. Yeah, and I'm telling you right now, if that ends up happening... I wouldn't take that hat off. Well, you're such a baby. You really are. I think it would really be cool and fun. Of course you do. Well, of course I do. Absolutely. All right. Use somebody else as the test subject for shaving somebody's head. I'm asking you. You're my producer slash co-host, and I think it would be really, really fun. Of course you and do. And we'll do it on our show of on course Wednesday you do. night. How's that sound? No. Not happening. Absolute baby. Anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We will get into the New York Knicks saga on Kemba Walker. He has decided to sit out for the rest of the season. Uh, He will not let the Knicks buy out his contract, which is weird, but... Nevertheless, in the offseason, I'm sure the Knicks will try to move him. We'll get into the Ben Simmons and obviously the mandate being lifted. Why Kyrie Irving might not even play home games, even that the mandate was lifted. So we'll get into the whole Kyrie Irving issue. Uh, we will get into the league. LeBron James speaks out. He wants to play with his son. That before he is done with basketball, he believes that one way or another, him and his son will play on the same team. So what does that say to the Lakers? And what should the Lakers do hearing that? We will get into the offseason in the NFL, what the Jets and Giants should do and what they should be looking for and what they should be doing moving into the draft. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to have the combine. We're going to have free agency. It's going to come. And it's going to go very, very fast. And the season is right around the corner. We will get into this baseball strike lockout and what needs to be done by Monday for baseball not to lose or miss any games. The commissioner is sitting in with all the owners and uh, GMs of the teams and trying to negotiate some kind of deal. Uh, they Obviously, I've been hearing they're coming to conclusions on some of the issues that they have. So this could be a good sign. And maybe on Monday, we'll hear that there's an agreement. Wait, leave it to Rob Manfred to show up for the first time to meetings yesterday. <laughs> we'll have Moneyline Mania, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, with Chaz and the crew, we'll have some new, yes, some new handicappers joining us tonight. 
So that'll be fun. I'm sure you guys are going to definitely want to listen to this. These guys are the best of the best. And if you want to win some money, cash your money. And we will have our special guest. We will be talking to former Packers, Panthers, and Seahawks guard Mike Wall. He will be joining us. That'll be fun. He's a really nice guy. Knows his sports. Knows his football. And we'll see what he is doing off the field now that he is retired from the NFL. We'll talk a little Islanders and Rangers as well. As uh, Sestorkin looks like he could win the Venzina Trophy mm-hmm. this year, but there are some issues with the games and some of the games that he has missed. And if he could stay healthy for the rest of the season, uh, he might be a shoe in to win the Venzina Trophy for the New York Rangers. But we're going to get into some basketball because it seems like New York basketball is in a state of flux. And I will say this about the New York Knicks. I don't know What's going to happen to Tom Thibodeau in the offseason? I'm not going to say anything about what they have not done at the trade deadline where they could have moved Julius Randle and gotten a piece or pieces to the puzzle of where this team could be in the future. And R.J. Barrett looked like a beast on Friday night. He absolutely dominated on the court, even though they lost against a Miami team they could have beaten. But you look at this team, Leon Rose and everything that he has put to the test as a new GM in this league, as a a sports agent. You would have thought moving into a new season, being that they were a fourth seed last year, one of the best defensive teams in the league, that they were going to take two steps forward, not six steps back. But this team has not played like a team all season long. Julius Randle, who was comeback player of the year last year, uh, he was a fantastic player throughout the season, really because there was no fans. As soon as the fans and after COVID-19 was lifted and the fans could actually go and watch the games, you saw the true colors of Julius Randle. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I I can guarantee I was the first person to say this, that Julius Randle cannot play in front of people, that the fans get into his head. We all know about Ricky Williams and the problems that he had as a football player. And everybody asks, why did Ricky Williams wear these dark visors? Because he just had this fear of playing in front of people. Now, I don't know if that's the problem with Julius Randle, but he's a shell of himself for what he was in the beginning and the middle of the season of last year. We look at this team, and they added pieces in the offseason. Kemba Walker, who now is going to sit out for the rest of the season. The Knicks wanted to buy out his contract. He said he he will not take the buyout, which makes absolutely no sense because the Knicks were practically going to pay him all the money that they owe him. So he's going into the offseason not knowing where he's going to go, if he's going to be a New York Knick. Maybe he knows something. Maybe he knows that Tom Thibodeau is going to be fired. Who knows what is going on in his head? But a lot of these stories that are coming out make absolutely no sense. And you look at some of the other pieces that they added. They tried to add shooters to this team. Really, what Leon Rose has done, even though they kept trading and moving down the draft, they added some good pieces. McBride looks like he could be a player. Grimes definitely could be a player. Quickly. Obi Toppin, even though he made a couple of mistakes on Friday night, that you you just scratch your head. Obviously, R.J. Barrett. You look at this team, you look at the New York Knicks as a whole, you wonder, who is Tom Thibodeau? Tom Thibodeau was coach of the year last year. Now you're hearing management might decide to part ways with him in his second season. Now, he doesn't like to play rookies. He doesn't want to play young players. He likes to play his veteran players, and that's fine if it works. It has not worked this year. They're a 12th seed in the Eastern Conference. They would be a lottery team in the draft for how many times in the last 25 years? I don't know. Have they found a star since they've been a lottery team in the last 25 years? The answer is no. They made trades that didn't work. 
setting Kristaps Porzingis to, to the Mavericks so far has not worked. The pieces to this team and the puzzle to this team, I don't know where this team is heading. I don't know where this team is going. And as a New York Knicks fan, Speedy, I am not happy. You wonder the sense of direction that they were going in. And it was obvious last year they needed more three-point shooting. So they tried that kind of thing. But when you realize that a lot of these veterans aren't working out, you have to adjust in some way. And maybe it's up to the front office to make that kind of adjustment, whether they get rid of Thibodeau or not. Now, they might end up having to force Thibodeau's hand with if they end up trading Randall, if they end up trading other veterans, and have him make no choice but to force his hand to play the young players and test it out. Make him adjust his coaching style in order to make it work. Because we know he's a good coach. We know he's a great defensive mind. He wasn't coach of the year for nothing last year. So make it work for the young players. And then maybe you could definitely get players to trust him more. Get R.J. Barrett to trust him more. Get Emmanuel Quigley to trust him more. And not get shunned away in his coaching style. Because, yes, it's evident that him and the young players didn't work out. It didn't work out in Minnesota. And forced a lot of these young players to have trouble developing there. They had a playoff appearance, sure, but it was supposed to be thought of as the Timberwolves and the Sixers were going to be this, these future identity teams. The Sixers have done well, but the Timberwolves have made one playoff appearance. So Tom Thibodeau has to be able to adjust to that kind of thing. And if he, he's not going to do it with the players there, the front office might not have a choice but to just try to purge these assets. Kemba Walker now refusing the buyout. He'll probably be traded in the Which makes season. no sense. Does that make any sense to you? He's going to get practically all the money that the Knicks practically owe him. And he will not take the buyout. Now, there has to be something with this on the reasons why he doesn't want to take the buyout. But he has agreed that he's not going to play for the rest of the season. None of it makes sense. Now, maybe he thinks that he's going to re-injure any of the the problems that he's had in the past. Maybe his knee when he can't play next year. I don't know what Kemba Walker is thinking. But if you look at his numbers, it is the worst NBA season he's ever had since he stepped on an NBA court. 11 points, he's averaging, what, four assists, five assists a game. He's been a horrible addition for the New York Knicks. And I am one that will not throw Kemba Walker under the bus because really for the last 12 years or 10 years that he's been in a league, I am the biggest Kemba Walker fan. I love Kemba Walker. As a player, he's really helped New York basketball as a point guard. How many New York point guards walked into the league and become the player Kemba Walker became. Stephon Marbury was one of them. Was Stephon Marbury a great NBA player? I would say he was a borderline decent NBA player. There were great years, all-star years, and there were fallout years. I think Kemba Walker, for the nine to ten years he's been in a league, besides maybe the last two or three, this guy has been an all-star. He's been one of the best point guards in the league. So I'm not going to rant and rave and attack Kemba Walker that he's making the wrong decisions and not helping his his position as a player in the NBA. But I do look at the New York Knicks. I don't know where this team is going. I don't know what this team identity is. And that's what scares me more than anything right. when you think of you're looking for addition of growth. And I don't see this team growing. Again, I see another year wasted for the growth of the young players. And we don't know where this team is going. We've heard about Donovan Mitchell wanted to come and play here. Donovan Mitchell's still under contract over there in Utah. So there's no guarantees to that. We also heard many different players Players over the last couple of years say they've picked the Knicks to go and play for, but they got none of them. So it, it doesn't show you any of these superstars actually want to go there and help the New York Knicks finally get over the hump since 1973, I think it is, the last mm-hmm. time they won a championship. 
And the only way they're going to do that is finding some level of a sense of stability. Get, string together a couple of good years. Show some player development. Last year, nice overperforming type year. Fell apart in the playoffs. And now maybe proving to be more of a fluke than we thought. And then there are the Brooklyn Nets. I will say this about the Brooklyn Nets. I could take a pen right now. And I could write down the roster of this team. And not knowing where this roster is or what this roster is going to be in the next three weeks. Everybody keeps saying Ben Simmons in three weeks will be on this team. Everybody says that Kevin Durant will be 100% healthy. Do we know that for sure? And then the mandate gets lifted, and we don't even know if Kyrie Irving, after all the stuff that he has said over the last week, that if the mandate gets lifted, he's looking forward to playing in New York in Brooklyn. It doesn't make any sense. Now there's stories coming out that he still might not play home games. Now, I don't know what it is with Kyrie Irving. I've shown a lot of respect for what he has said about not taking the shots and not taking the vaccine and sticking up for who he is as a player and what he believes in. But the things that he said in the past make absolutely no sense, like the earth is flat. And he has spoken to say that he said stupid things many, many times that has hurt him as a player in the NBA. But this one makes no absolute sense. And Ben Simmons, okay, I don't know what Brooklyn Nets fans are expecting from this guy. We don't know what we're expecting from this guy because even though he hasn't stepped on a court to shoot a basket yet for the last almost two years, he's been sitting out for a year and a half. Who's to tell me and tell you, Speedy, that Ben Simmons, when he does step on the court, he's going to make a difference to this team? I always worried about any contending team trading for Ben Simmons. Not that I love the other it either for the Sixers because James Harden's bad in the playoffs, but you saw Atlanta expose that kind of identity of what Ben Simmons will contribute offensively. You foul him, you play the hack-a-shack mentality to Ben Simmons, and it derails a team offense. That Sixers team had a good team offense. Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, what he plays well now. Oh, down. give me a break. No, no, last bias. year I'm talking about. No, no, no. This what year a waste he's of space. This year he's bad. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about last year. But, $170 million of waste. <laughs> Long Island native. <laughs> but last year he was good. They had a good team offense. The Nets have a better version of that when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are both on. And as in the case of Kyrie Irving, mentally in it, which we'll never know where he is. But even so, they are two of the most prolific scorers in the league. However, again, if Ben Simmons is on the court in a situation late in the second quarter when you're in the bonus and they're going to foul him. And that could be a big derailing of a team offense. And the Nets don't have the team defense to overcompensate. Yes, Ben Simmons helps that because he's a significant upgrade over James Harden. Sure. But it still doesn't justify the fact that you don't have a lot of depth. Kyrie Irving's not a good defender. Seth Curry's not a good defender. Can we stop talking about <laughs> Seth Curry? This isn't Steph Curry. I think Brooklyn Nets fans, and I, I don't want to hear it from any of the fans out here that pretend themselves to be Brooklyn Nets fans. Okay. And I say pretend because they're really, Nick fans to come out and say that Seth Curry is going to fix any of the problems that they have right now is a joke. Maybe they did it for the fans because the, the fans came out for for his brother. No, so maybe no, that was the incentive to bring him in. They will pretend that it's Steph exactly. Curry. They improved the attendance at the Barclays. <laughs> Before we go to break, I, I will say this about LeBron James and him speaking out, talking about playing with his son for at least one year before he retires. It is great that LeBron wants to play for his son. Who's to say that LeBron James's son is ever going to step on a basketball court in the NBA? The guy is a high school student. He still hasn't picked 
the team that he wants to play for in college, if he even is going to college. He could go and play in the G League. He could break his leg, break his ankle, or maybe he's just not good enough. And we've seen a lot of these kids' fathers, Kenyon Martin's son, get drafted in the yeah. second round. He's not even going to step on a basketball court in the NBA. And if he does, it's going to be minutes that mean nothing. Dwayne Wade's son, did you hear that Dwayne Wade signed him to play on his Utah Jazz oh, G League? Does it really matter? All these things that we keep hearing about Bronny, it's fantastic. He's not his father. His father's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. Okay, to, to compare and contrast what this kid's going to be, Michael Jordan's sons. Do you remember Michael Jordan's sons? Uh, everybody was trying to compare and contrast that Michael Jordan has two sons that are going to go play professional basketball. Not one of them were drafted. Not one of them succeeded in college. Not one of them. They're not their father. They're once in a generational type of players. It's very rare where you see a father that's a successful professional athlete that was all Hall of Famer, all world all Hall of Famer, and their son becomes the same thing. Well, it's constant media hype in today's digital media era where you're going to get that kind of thing to push it out, to create a narrative. Like with, a baby, right? Right. Push and, it out like a baby. <laughs> sure. We'll Maybe we'll have that. twins. Oh, God. We knew coming in that LeBron's son especially, yeah. considering the hype LeBron had, the king, the chosen one that he got coming out of high school was going You're to, the chosen one with that beard of yours. <laughs> sure, I mean, we'll go with that. Yeah, you're the chosen one. We knew that was going to happen. Now, we'll see what he ends up being as a young player. He still has got one more year left of high school. I, th- I think he'll end up playing in college basketball, just especially with the NIL rules. Think about all the endorsements he's going to get. He's going to make I, a lot of money. He's going to make a Does ton of money. Does he need it? His, his father's going to be <laughs> no, 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 I get that, but still, he's going to get a ton of that from the NIL. Chaz needs some money. Maybe we give it to Chaz when we get him on for Moneyline Mania. The NIL rules, he'll be the richest guy in college (laughs) basketball right away just based on that. Wherever he plays, he could even play for a a group of five school. He'll get that kind of thing. What a joke. Even so, we'll have to see how that ends up affecting where his NBA career ends up going and also the situation of where that particular team he'll go to will end up being in where it makes sense for them to bring in LeBron because you have to think of I don't think LeBron, from a financial standpoint, is going to care. I think he's going to play for his son with his son no matter what. But still, that'll make, still make a difference in terms of trying to clear the roster and cater it to that kind of thing to work in that future time. And from the Lakers standpoint, he's got one more year left on the Lakers contract, which syncs up well. The Lakers maybe could consider moving him. I don't know about this offseason, but maybe at the trade deadline next year if they're not going anywhere because they're already – Rumor to trade off Russell Westbrook. You were mentioning that rumor to trade off Anthony Davis. Anthony too, Davis would be the smartest thing for them to uh-huh, do. Right that's now. what I'm thinking. They too, could get the most for him because he's been very injury prone since their championship bubble year. Yes, maybe now is the best time before he gets too old and even more worn down to be able to move that kind of thing. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some strike time, okay, or lockout time, or whatever MLB time here on the unbelievable show, The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio. I can't pronounce, you don't know what to call this. You call it a strike, people have a heart attack. You call it the lockout, everybody says it is a lockout. And eventually, when this is all over, I'd love to get an executive from the MLB on this show so we could talk about what was going on in these meetings 
that absolutely is thrown off where baseball is moving. Obviously, this whole DH thing, I think that's one of the easier things to figure out. And I think they will add the DH to the National League. It makes a lot of sense because a lot of these pitchers are getting hurt when they're in the batting box. And most of these pitchers can't hit. They're very few like Jacob deGrom. It doesn't benefit some of these teams. And and it actually helps out because you have players that actually can't play in the field anymore. You can put them in the box. You can put them as a DH. And that will help them prolong their careers, being that they don't have to play in the outfield and either hurt their knee or pull something else. As you get older, your body just doesn't hold up, as you know with Alex Rodriguez and some of the great players that we've seen in the outfield. But I think it's very interesting with baseball, and I understand why they had this lockout with the different problems that they have right now in the minor leagues, the contracts that these players are getting. Some of these players never step foot in the major league. So they're making between forty-five dollars and $50,000 a year, and they're sitting in the farm system trying to get up from single A, double A, triple A, and then finally getting the opportunity to, to make their appearance on the big stage. And a lot of these guys are just not good enough. They're secondary players, and they're there to really help the other players, the better players, grow so they can eventually play in the majors. You wait, and you, you give up your college career. You give up your career as a computer technologist or a physician or a doctor or a nurse, whatever you want to do, because you want to play professional sports that you want to, you believe in your dreams of eventually stepping foot on the major league level. And you never get a chance to do that. Yeah. The two things I think that are, they're trying to push for is the minimum salaries for not only minor leaguers, but also players just coming up. The players union wants it to be in the 700,000 range and the owners do not want that because of the the free agency and the the money the revenue that could be made and the minor league pay has been a big problem for a while so that's one thing and the second thing they're trying to figure out is these expanded playoffs the players actually want it the owners don't they're trying to get that to 14 teams which I don't wouldn't want I think it's too much you're going to see a lot of average or even below 500 teams in the playoffs which I don't think would create a good product I think the most important thing is figuring out the minor leagues and I think that's what holding up the contracts and and figuring out to move forward after the lockout because a lot of these owners don't want to pay these minor league players because they're paying all these major league players multi-millions of millions of dollar contracts. And these other players that are not as good or really to them mean absolutely nothing except developing these younger players that you draft so they can get on the major league level. They're not worth the money that they think that they're worth as players. So... I think that these owners are, are being very stingy. These these are multimillionaires. They're making millions and billions of dollars with the TV deals that they have now. The teams having all these things that they have in the ballpark, spending money on jerseys and food and all the different things that you could do besides watch a baseball game. So I really believe that they have to come to an understanding that these players should be getting paid and should be making a lot more money in the minor leagues, not $50,000. They should be making between one hundred and fifty dollars and $200,000, which to me is not a lot of money to these owners when there's only how many people on a baseball team, especially a minor league team, 22. So you're paying 22 players, 150 to $200,000, which would make them want to play and play harder because they could see there's money at the end of the rainbow, not 
oh, I'm making $50,000. Who cares? I'm living on my, my girlfriend's sofa. If I was a player, that would push me away from the game. And who knows what some of these players could be, or it takes them a little bit longer to develop where they step away from it. Three different levels, too, to compensate for, too. It's not just like in hockey where you just have the AHL. Major League Baseball is AAA, AA, and single A, too. So now you're trying to distribute the money like that, too. It took Aaron Judge almost seven years to develop in the minor leagues. Just imagine that. Sitting in the minor leagues for seven years making fifty grand, and not making any money, barely be able to support you and your fiancé, or sometimes you have kids. How the hell are you supporting a family? And I think that's why the players' union is trying to fight this, and I think they should. And that's why I think this lockout could move further. I don't think it. all the other rules, the DH rules and extra this and extra that or whatever they're trying to do, maybe trying to get rid of the extra innings guy on second base. I think they I already did that already. Whatever the case is, I don't know the whole story of what's going on with the some of the rules that they're trying to change, which I thought was horrible from the beginning. And the arbitration thing, absolutely. The arbitration thing is hurting the league. It's hurting these players getting the money that they should be getting at a more younger age. Could you imagine making the major leagues and you have to play at the top of your game for five or six years before you get a big contract? Could you imagine that? And you have one bad season, you get pushed down to the minors, you might never come back up, and when you do, you got to wait until that arbitration comes where you can make some kind of money? If I was a player, I would not agree to this, and that's why I think the arbitration and the money that these minor league players should be getting is the most important things that the baseball players union need to fight and make sure that they get. The MLB lockout too now going to pending more to Monday for a shortened season too which I think is inevitable anyway a lot of these players have fought for it we saw Cody Bellinger Chris Bryant Anthony Rizzo in the past fight for the shortened season and now it seems like it's inevitably going to happen I think the players want the shorter season this year this even benefits them in the long run that they're getting what they want right and I, I think a lot of the players for durability factors too especially pitchers now you're seeing with all these injuries all these surgeries they're getting now too we've seen organizations try to micro manage it where they want to protect these pitchers and have them on innings limits and these shorter games will help them do that kind of thing too now it might force them to go longer in games maybe earlier in the season or maybe save for later in the season where we'll see if these pitchers are used to it just with their body types the way they're trained nowadays especially with these openers that a lot of teams have been using teams like the Rays teams like the Athletics when they had a lot of that pitching talent you're seeing a case where that's going to be the wave of the league too and versatility you mentioned the DH coming into the National League you're going to see a lot of different guys get rotated out from DH to outfield too because there's not a lot of great pure DHs now too you don't have the David Ortiz's and the Jim Tomies and guys like that now in today's game you see more versatility guys that platoon from the outfield to the DH you're talking about it with Aaron Judge and the Yankees they could do that with Stanton they could do that with Gary Sanchez you look at the Braves with all the outfielders they have too you're going to see a lot of that and even with the National League teams depth is what you pride yourself on now if you're a contending team the Yankees announced that they're going to retire Paul O'Neill's number this year mm-hmm. long overdue this guy ever since they traded for him where it sent uh, Roberto Kelly to Cincinnati, bringing him to the Yankees absolutely was a big part of these championship runs all the way from 96 on. Paul O'Neill was a big part of where this Yankee team was and what this Yankee team really 
became as an organization, as a championship organization, a winning organization, and, and as they call him the ultimate warrior, a guy that really demanded greatness on the field and not a Hall of Famer because early in his career, he was on and off with injuries, but he was an all-star over there in Cincinnati. He came to the Yankees for Roberto Kelly, which was a steal. Roberto Kelly became nothing in Cincinnati. Paul O'Neill became a god in New York, a, a fan favorite. And the Yankees got to stop uh, retiring numbers because they're going <laughs> to lose all their numbers and they're going to be going into the 90s and yep. 100s. Every, every player on the Yankees is going to have to wear uh, 60 through 99 at this rate. <laughs> but Paul O'Neill is one of those guys that you absolutely should retire. This guy was a heart of fans, and, and I say that he was the heart of the Yankees. Not Derek Jeter, not Tino Martinez, not Andy Pettitz, the Mariano Rivera, the heart of those championship teams for the Yankees in the 90s was Paul O'Neill. Yeah, anyone with that bunch of a postseason legacy too, has to have something like that. I know the Yankees retired so many numbers already, but still. He was a difference maker, no matter how you look at it, even if he wasn't the, the heart and soul best player. The heart and soul of right. that Yankee team. It was not even a question. Everybody keeps talking about the captain. They forget what this man did as a player, playing injured, playing hurt, and really added that, that sense of just warrior to who he was as a player. So congratulations to Paul O'Neill and his family as he will be introduced into the Monument Park Hall of Fame, 8-21-22, August 21st this year. At this so, rate, there's going to be more uh, Monument Park. Baseball will be going on in August. Yeah. So. At, this, at this rate, there'll be more Monument Park land acres and there will be bleachers in right field. <laughs> he, he deserves it. He, he really does. And I'm happy for him. He's been a, a big part and really the soul, even with right now the broadcasting for the Yankees, uh, Michael K. leaving. But Paul O'Neill will still be there. I think David Cohn will still be there. So it'll be fun to see where baseball and the Yankees and their analysts go uh, moving forward in their careers. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be getting into some betting. Yes, some betting and cashing money. Yes, money line mania with Chaz and the crew here on the Weekend Crunch. It's our time. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol March, my co-host, Speedy, are you shaving your head, Petey? Are you? Nope. No, figured. Why can't I get him to shave his head? Maybe you get one of the betting guys to shave their heads. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. By going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I don't know about you guys, but when we had Moneyline Mania on last week, their picks, parlays were on point. So if you guys aren't listening to the segment, damn, you guys better start listening to it if you want to win some money. Speedy, are you ready? Yep. It is time for Moneyline Mania. (laughs) This is Moneyline Mania. Which has the crew. Jazzy boy, what is going on, my friend? How was your weekend? We really have done, don't get me wrong, we do well all the time. If you ever checked us out Thursdays on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, we cash tickets while you listen. I mean, a lot of places give you their plays. We cash them while we listen. But yeah, last week was pretty good. And and I'm excited because remember, you guys talk about these teams all week. We don't really follow teams. We look for opportunities. So 
Today we've got Jonathan from San Antonio. That's what we call him. If you're on Vegas Insider, you know him as, by his real name. Hector has been hanging around with us at Sports Betting Weekly from the beginning. He's just a really knowledgeable soccer guy. Sports guy in general, but a soccer guy, he's really, really good. That's what the beauty of checking us out here on the 103.9 is you're going to catch sports that you probably don't necessarily watch, never mind bet. But here's the thing. If you're cashing tickets, do you care? No. Hector, I checked out the Neymar documentary. Love Neymar, uh, Brazilian player, if people don't follow English football, which we call soccer here in America. That was an unbelievable documentary. If you like soccer, European football, go check it out on Netflix. It's an unbelievable documentary. Anyways, are we ready to get into some conversation with some of the games this week? March Madness is around the corner. That's where everybody likes to make their money. College football is very big when it comes to betting in the books and DraftKings, FanDuel. Anyways, Chaz, are you ready, buddy? That's the thing. You know, Thursday, that Thursday in Las Vegas of March Madness, when the games tip off at like 9 in the morning, our time, go all day long, 64 teams to start. By the time Saturday morning rolls around, half of them have gone home already. Remember, the regular season's ending. Then you got the tournaments, the conference tournaments. This is the time of year where college basketball is at its finest. Now, for, for Sunday, there's a few games we talked about last week. St. John's was off. They're playing DePaul, so I'm going to Jonathan have the floor here. College basketball has been a, it's a grind. I kind of do the smaller schools, the MAA conference and the Mount West conference. It's kind of smaller schools. You get more of a edge, I think. When the odds makers are making the lines, those big games, those lines are tight. Kentucky, Arkansas, that was this morning. That's exactly where it's supposed to be. You look at some smaller schools like East Tennessee, UNC Greensboro, Harvard, Princeton's going to tip off tomorrow morning. They just came off that Friday game. I actually lost by a half a point, plus six and a half on Harvard, and I had over 141 and a half. It landed on 141 in a seven-point game. So probably in Harvard again. Princeton is a really good team that can shoot the ball lights out. I think the way that Princeton plays the game they push a lot of pace and they shoot a lot of threes. That forces Harvard to have to do the same thing and keep pace. So off a loss, now they get to go home. And I think that Harvard's a good look at in the morning. The over-under, I'm probably not going to suck this time around because I think that last game, it was on pace for the over. Then they just kind of went into a couple of spurts that didn't happen. So looking at the Harvard game for the morning, Monmouth and Siena is going to tip off. That's, that should be a pretty decent game. I'm going to look at the home dogs in Siena. I think that they can keep pace with Monmouth. They're seven and three against the spread, but Monmouth's only four and six last ten. They're kind of struggling covering the number. St. John's and DePaul is kind of an interesting game because DePaul's actually played pretty well, covered some numbers. But St. John's eating on Butler a couple of nights ago. I think they won by like thirty or so, and they're eight and two last ten against the spread. So that's going to be an interesting look for me. I think St. John's is one of those teams getting stronger, getting ready for the conference tournaments, and you have a lot of these teams now. Your know, conference tournament time is an exciting time because you have teams that they got to win. If they don't win, they're not going to the tournament. St. John's one of those teams that could probably make a deep run in their Big East tournament that's kind of under the radar. They're going to play first day, kind of getting that the opening in that tournament. That game is going to be interesting for me. St. John's probably play, though. Talking about a couple of the guys that do the smaller conferences. Jonathan is one of them in college football. There could be 80 games on there. If you walk into the sports book on a Saturday morning in college basketball, it takes the board three rotations, 300 games. There's no way they could be that accurate with 300 games. And by Jonathan hopping on those schools where at least a third of the time, I have heard of the school Jonathan is telling us to bet, but I couldn't A, tell you where they're located, 
or B, name their mascot. <laughs> I do like the call, Jonathan, with the Mountain West. I think there's a lot of good sleepers this year. Maybe double-digit seeds in this NCAA tournament this year that have been very good programs for a while. Colorado State's been the biggest surprise one this year. And Boise State and Wyoming, too. Don't sleep on them either. Not going to be the same shoe-in for your Aztecs, Chas. Those top four teams in the Mountain West, they could have beat Boise State and they just didn't. you know. But it was on the road and they covered. But when you're a fan, the covering is great and puts the money in your pocket. But you want your team to win if they can as well. Well. And St. John's is the big team right here in New York. Everybody is a St. John's fan, especially here in Long Island. College basketball is not big here in New York. It's crazy to say when this is the birthplace, a lot of people believe, of basketball. Some of the great basketball players that played at Rucker and Harlem and, and Manhattan. But really, St. John's is the team out here. There are a couple of teams that have gotten into the tournament. Stony Brook over here is very popular now. They have a pretty good basketball team year in and year out. But St. John's is the team. St. John's is where everybody wants to see get into the tournament and make those dark runs. I say dark runs because it gets darker as the runs go further. I hope St. John's makes it this year. I really want to see one of our teams out here actually move further. Villanova is not part of New York out of Philadelphia, but Villanova is always good. They have a great coach. They always play a great defensive scheme, and they're always in it. And this year they'll be in it again with Wright running the ship over there. So they're dangerous as well. Every week I look for you guys at those five schools. I'm I'm looking at the Big East, Knicks, the Nets the Rangers and the Islanders. People that like a team bet the team sometimes whether they should or not. Here's the thing Jonathan mentioned. Sure, they did blow out somebody big time. They won by like 30 St. John's the other day. They're 2-1 and one against the spread. They're averaging 85 points, but even if you throw out that big game where they scored 90-some points, they've scored at least 78 points in every single one of those games. DePaul just beat Georgetown, but again, really, you could put in any school beat Georgetown in a sentence, and really, I think in the last two months, you're right. And before that, DePaul was 2-8, and eight. so if you're leaning St. John's, I have no problem with that, but I think you really need to have a team total in there as well. When you have the team total and the team and the team total hits before the game goes to final like that game yesterday Jonathan was saying about he lost by a hook on both the side and the total it happens you win by a hook on the side and the total sometimes but when you cash guys that team total before the game is final it takes all the pressure off because you've already got a ticket cash and that's why I, I really love team totals when they're relevant. That's what I love listening to all these handicappers. The best handicappers are on Twitter. They don't really shed any of their full information on what they're going to do and how they're going to place their bets unless you pay them. But I think it's very interesting when you look at all these different handicappers and how they're parlaying their picks and making their choices moving forward every single night. Like John, he makes a living on it. A lot of people can't say that. I mean, a lot of people lose their paychecks because they want to make the most money out of their bets. So that's why you guys are the best. Across the sound, there's a place called Morris Cove. It's in New Haven. It's right on the water. Idyllic place to grow up. But Joey Cretella was a guy that gambled a lot growing up. Now we're talking, we're in high school. He's working after school in a mattress factory. And it's Friday afternoon. And he's asking to borrow money. He got paid that day. He was asking to borrow money because he had already lost it all gambling. But the next week we come into the park and there's two kegs and a keg party is going on. Because he won money, he was throwing a keg party. That's why I love sports betters because they rock and roll no matter whether they're up or down. They just keep grinding. Sports betting is a grind. I know New York just legalized it. I think people forget that to be a successful sports better, you just got to hit 55%. People on Twitter too, like I'm hitting 80% for the whole doesn't happen. The realistic part about sports betting is you lose and you lose a lot. And that's the crazy part. You can actually lose that many part of your bets and you're still being a 
successful, profitable sports better. So I think you have to be careful when you're on Twitter. There's so many people on Twitter that are the best sports handicapper of all time, and they're hitting 90%, and they will tell you all this kind of stuff. But sports betting, you got to be realistic with it. And understand you're going to lose, and there's going to be grinds. I lost that Harvard-Princeton game by hooking the hook, and I was back at it Saturday morning with all my plays. And can't change up too much. Know what works for you and stick to that system. And if you put in the time and that work, and a lot of people want to be a professional sports better because they think it's easy, but it's not. I pour in hours just to get one extra little angle that I can find on a game. So mm. just understand it's a grind. You're going to lose a lot, and if you win 55%, you're okay. Hey, uh, Arrow, so you mentioned the soccer documentary that you watch. Mm-hmm. But honestly, on all your loudmouth shows, all your shows on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, how often do you guys actually talk about soccer? We actually don't. We've had some soccer players come on our show, professional goalkeepers. But here in New York, soccer's becoming popular. It's not as big as it is in Europe or overseas. So obviously the United States uh, women's team is one of the best in the world. The United States men's team is And when they're not good, nobody cares because none of these top American players are as big as a guy like Ronaldo or Messi, Neymar. These guys are the best of the best. Some of these younger players, we are getting that. There's like five players on Team USA. They play overseas. You're a good soccer player. You want to play overseas. You're not playing in the MLS. We have a team now. They're not the best. They're like, I think they're ranked 11. But we have players now. We're never going to be a soccer nation. We are cultivating youth soccer to get to that level to compete because I think people were sick of the U.S. just going in and not making the World Cup Mm. or going into the World Cup and losing to Uganda and other teams that we shouldn't be losing to. This year, you said popularity is getting there. Well, it's World Cup year. So you're going to see the popularity this year because by November, we're going to have the World Cup going on. That's always when popularity kicks up. So I well, think soccer's getting there. And that was my segue to get Hector giving us some winners because he's part of our Wake and Bake crew. Soccer Hector. time. So what we do is we're here in San Diego, which is the Mexican border. Mm. Soccer is huge here, and it has been huge here as long as I've known it. But people get so bent out of shape, and I laugh at the numbers. Oh, New York, New Jersey, and the handle, and how much sports betting. The World Cup will make those numbers look like what our country's deficit is. The beauty of soccer is we get that, and you get it all day. Because I woke up this morning, right? The English game was a final, I think. I'm up yeah. early today because, you know, it's 103.9. You don't mess around when you get on 103.9. You do your homework. I was ready. And then tonight we go all the way and we're going to have some soccer in America. And so you literally could bet soccer for 20 hours of the 24 hours a day. It's insane. Mm-hmm. But Hector, talk to us. Give us some winners. Yeah, for sure, man. Good segue. Major League Soccer, they're starting up their season. Game one for all the teams is this weekend. And there's some games today, Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to go with the Sunday games first. Two games in MLS that got my interest. Speaking of New York, by the way, that's where the MLS defending champions are located. New York City FC. They're going to take on LA Galaxy. The team that Landon Donovan made famous and now has Chicharito. I think New York City FC has a lot to prove because a lot of people were naysaying them the whole season that they got lucky, they won on penalty kicks in the final. Whatever, dude. Like they're gonna use that kind of like Rocky Three did, or like mm-hmm. when everybody was writing him off against Mr. T in the second fight. So I think they're gonna use that positively. The coaching staff is. 
And I don't even consider this an upset, dude. I think New York City FC is legit. I think they want to prove to everybody that there wasn't a fluke season last year. And even though they're playing on the road Sunday at 2 o'clock at uh, Dignity Health Sports Park against LA Galaxy, I like them to win this one. And a close one, but I like them to win this one 2-1. to one. There's not too many of the handicappers. They all give the plays. Jonathan gets, they all give the plays. But Hector always gives the final score. And you don't have to do that. But it really helps because it offers then you the ability to say, hey, maybe I could look at the total or a second half if he thinks it's going to be two to one and it's two to one in halftime maybe i'm going to bet the under mm. if he thinks it's two to one and it's zero zero at halftime maybe i'm going to bet the over for the second half so i always love that he throws that score in at the end actually continue yeah i got i gotta throw that in there just to give it some flavor you know they don't have to follow it but i'm definitely liking new york city fc to prove that they're the legit champs second game for mls i'm liking also on sunday is uh, seattle sounders Talk about a team that has something to prove as well. A great regular season last year, but they got knocked off in the first round of the playoffs against Real Salt Lake. They're feeling it. They're one of the legit teams for MLS, and they'll make the finals like a bunch of times. They've made it like four of the last six years or something like that. But they're a super legit team, and they're going to be playing at home against Nashville, who's not never been considered really a contender since they joined the league recently. And I don't see this one being close, actually. I think this one's going to be a blowout, and I'm liking Seattle to, to win it at home 3 to nothing. Hector, when we first started Wake and Bake, they were in the playoffs. That was pretty exciting. Well, they're a legit team. They've got great players. Michael Bradley came from there, and like their goalkeeper, Fry, is one of the legit goalkeepers in the MLS history. It's just that when you have a great regular season in any sport and you get bounced in the first round, it's almost like a slap in the face for next season. So that's why I'm liking Seattle, especially at home, to open up with a W. And I'm going to finish up the third game. I'm going to go Liga MX. That's the one that I grew up watching. That's one of the teams that I follow. Even though my team's Chivas is like having another horrible season, the good thing is that their rivals, Club America, is having a worse season. So that's a positive. Their game that I'm going to be looking at right now is Cruz Azul versus Santos. Cruz Azul playing at Azteca Stadium, their home stadium for now. And Santos being the last, the worst team in Liga MX right now with zero wins in their six or seven games. So I'm liking Cruz Azul to keep it going. They're the number four seed right now, and they're going to be playing at home. And it's also like a tradition that stadium is always vibe to it. You know, not always a positive vibe. We know the history of like a lot of the hardcore Mexican fans, but they always bring a definitely a home field advantage to Azteca Stadium. So I'm liking Cruz Azul to win that one also handily, and I'm liking it three to one. Those are the three teams that I like, New York City FC, Seattle Sounders, and Cruz Azul, and let's make some money, guys. I go to TJ to put my bets in, because eight years after starting Sports Betting Weekly, it's still illegal here in California. Mm. I can buy any kind of weed I want, but I can't bet <laughs> on anything. So I'm down at TJ, and I get there, and it's like the weirdest thing. It's a Saturday morning, but there's nobody in the streets. There's no traffic. Mexico is so much different than San Diego. I didn't know what was going on. I'd never seen it this empty. It was made Christmas morning look busy. I get in the sports book and I open the door and the place was wall to wall packed and the roar was incredible. They were playing Germany in the World Cup. Mexico was. Yeah, that was uh, the one that they actually beat Germany in the first. It was 2018, I think. Yeah, I was there for a goal. My beer shook like there was an earthquake in the sports book my beer shook and it like was spilling over the sides when when mexico scored they are passionate to see the yeah chucky losano scored that one but yeah we'll see how it goes this season with them and the qualifiers we might be talking about qualifiers next week so it'll be a fun weekend you mentioned the the hours and it's hours on a week during the football season i gotta be up to 20 hours that I put into. With football, I think football is the most bet on. New York just legalized it. And your handle in the second month that it became legal in New York was astronomical. I think y'all had the highest handle 
of any legalized sports betting in that month. So during Seven, football season, I'm I sure think, you got the Jets, the Giants. I think what I heard New York actually spent in the first month of legalized betting was over $70 million. I used to take some bets myself, right? And the crazy part is that people think like legalized betting is going to take away with all the books, the bookies. And it's not because everybody, the bookies provide credit. So there's always going to be the better that wants to go on credit. That 70 million does not include everything taken underground. You know how much more money's bet? Even like me, I bet on Bovada. Overseas offers a lot more options too, like just what you can get from even MGM, wherever you're betting. When you bet on these offshore accounts, they actually offer more. So there's so much more betting that goes on. It's not even on the books or calculated. It's an insane amount. The time we put during the season, I know you're big on soccer, Hector. I'm sure you put in a crazy amount of time. Same for me for football. This year is going to be kind of cool when football's back. I hate the World Cup not being in the summertime. I think like that's just where it's supposed to be. When there's only baseball, it gives you something else. But this year, it's going to be football. We're going to have college football winding down. NFL is going to be gearing up for playoffs. We're going to have basketball, college basketball, and we're going to have the World Cup. The second week in a row, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, the Weekend Crunch, you're getting a physical geography lesson (laughs) because when the World Cup is winter here, it's summer half of the world. So It is crazy. Let me get back to the hockey. So what happened is last week, we said we're going to focus on the Rangers and the Islanders and Knicks and Nets and, and, and the Big East and see if we can give these guys on the East Coast the winners. They're going to watch the games anyway. Might as well have a little juice on them. We haven't done well. We've done very, very well so far talking to you guys. But what we looked at with the Islanders and the Rangers was they had a, a hockey guy on. So I read my notes, and it matched exactly what Blackhawk West was saying. So the Islanders Sunday, they're on a back-to-back tomorrow, and they're playing away. Now, their last two back-to-backs, they had a home game. They lost 3 to nothing, and an away game, they lost 5-2. to They've got outscored 8-2. to Tonight, they're playing the Kings. Tomorrow, they're playing Anaheim. Now, Anaheim has lost 5 of 7. And in their last six, they've allowed 30 goals. If the Islanders were never going to win a game ever on a back-to-back, because back-to-backs are hard, and Wes, he sits around waiting for back-to-back games, and the goalie changed. They give the goalie the night off because he had played the night before. With the Rangers game Sunday, it's also a back-to-back. Now, remember, hockey, right? You mentioned it, the Islanders specifically, and a lot of the teams have lost a lot of games because they weren't able to play because of COVID. And to get those games in, that's going to be a lot more back-to-back, so we got to pay attention. But since the All-Star break, they've only played four games, but they're 3-1. and one. The Rangers had two weeks off. So Saturday, they're playing Pittsburgh, who's lost three in a row and given up 14 goals in those three games. And Sunday, they're at Vancouver, who's won four or five. And if the Islanders were ever going to win a game Sunday, it was the game they were going to win with the Rangers on Sunday. It'll be interesting to see how they do. If they win today, I, I'm coming back with the Rangers as well. Hockey is a big betting sport now more here than anywhere else because a lot of people don't like to bet basketball because basketball, it, it's flip-flop. Some people bet on points. I was talking to one of my friends. The only time he bets basketball is he bets on the points per the game, so he bets that there's going to be over 220 points. There's so much that can happen in basketball, really, in the last minute and a half. I had a game where I needed 18 points, and there was like 37 seconds left. It was an NBA game. And I said, well, tear that ticket up now. I was betting online. I didn't have the ticket up because I didn't have a ticket in my hand. But I would have probably tore that ticket up, and I, it went over. 
because mm. foul, after know, foul after foul after yeah, foul. Yeah, they hit a three. They fouled. They hit a three. They fouled. It was amazing. They scored like twenty-seven points in like it's crazy. Seconds, it so. is crazy. It was like the last four minutes of the divisional game with Buffalo and Kansas City, where it was like twenty-seven points. It was ridiculous. And you look at basketball. Yeah. I would never bet on basketball because my friend was telling me he he likes to bet all sports, especially now that it's legalized here. And he told me, the only time I bet on basketball is for sure I know both teams are going to either score over 100 points. It's either going to go over the over or go under the points. And besides that, he will not bet anything else, especially R.J. Barrett. Who would have thought that R.J. Barrett was going to have one of his best games of the season against a great Miami team, great defensive Miami team? Basketball is a game of runs. You really have to withstand. The Knicks have really cost me a lot of money this year. I was on them against the Nets when they were up 26, mm-hmm. looking pretty good. I'm not learning my lesson. I believe in R.J. Barrett. I think he is the best player on New York. Uh, I believe in Tibbs. I think he's got a good system, but it's not working. But, yeah, when you're up 26 in a basketball game in the third quarter, you should be good. That's what basketball is, though. It's it's a really a game of runs. When I have action on games, I typically don't follow my basketball games. It's really weird. For Saturday morning, when I have money on Fort Wayne, I'm watching – Arkansas, Kentucky. I'm not watching that because I know I, I'm going to watch a good competitive basketball game. I'll check my bets after. It doesn't make a lot of sense to check in in basketball because you can start the 13-0 run and then, all right, now it's a, you're on a 15-3 run on the other side. So I'll check the final score and then get back to it the next day with, with my research. But basketball is the toughest sport to bet That's because of the amount of runs that you go on. You don't have that football. Football is more of a control. I know you had that Buffalo game, which was insane, yes. but it, it's one of those things where you're going to get this a lot in basketball, up, down, up, down. And now with the NBA, everybody wants to sit and rest and somebody's going to have COVID, somebody's tired. It's a tough sport to bet. Or the some NBA people, is a tough or, sport to bet. Or some people could be like Kyrie Irving, who has an opportunity now to play home games and says, you know what? The mandate's over, so I don't have to play still. So figure that one out. You don't know what player's going to play. play. I think he's going to play, I think, too. I think he's going to play. Jonathan's yeah. right on, because Jonathan is not the first or the second NBA handicapper that I've talked to recently said, you know, right now, you got to go light. So here's some Knicks stats. In the last nine games, the Knicks are 1-8 and eight against the spread. And believe it or not, they beat Golden State. That was the only team that they covered against, and they won the game. They're 7-2 and two over. Everyone, everyone that plays the Knicks scores 111 points. Think of that one Whoa. out when they were a great defensive team last year. They were a top-four team. Real oh. pleasure, guys. I got to take off. See you next week. All right, go, go, go ahead, Hector. The dude sits at games. He does the color. He's the color analyst on soccer games. So when you talk to him about soccer, it's a whole different level of talking to guys. Soccer guys are like talking to, to NBA guys or fantasy guys in football. They just know so much more than you would ever dream of. It's, it's just so interesting to listen to them. The thing I wanted to mention was when you see a run like that, 1-8 and eight against the spread, 7-2 over, most people don't put it together. I see parlay. Bet against the Knicks, take the over, bet at parlay, six of nine. Six of nine parlays is a lot better than 55% straight bets, right, Jonathan? Yeah, 55 bet. yeah. I will parlay, I do parlay, but they're not where I make my money just because, to me, you got to win. You know, you got to win multiple. Win my one game and cash my ticket. But I do do parlays. When I go to Vegas, trust me, I'm a, I parlay a lot of stuff just to get more action. That's why I don't it's bet on that. sports, guys, because even though I know a lot about it, I'm not going to throw myself on a bus where I'm going to lose a ton of money. But Plus it changes there the way you watch the game yeah. as Jonathan mentioned I don't watch unders I'll yeah. bet them but I can't watch them however if you turn on an under in a football game like with five minutes left in the first half and it's seven to three and you yeah. got the under 
The rest of the game is joyous to watch because if the other is like 47, you're in great shape. It changes the enjoyment in the game, especially if you're losing. All right, Chaz, we really appreciate you guys, the Moneyline Mania crew, for joining us, and we'll have you on next week. Thank you for all the time that you gave us. Always Thank you, Absolutely. John, Chaz, and Hector, three really smart guys. They know what they're talking about, especially when it comes to betting and handicapping. It's crazy because it, it is a craft. It is something people actually live off of doing this. Obviously, John is one of those guys that actually makes insiders. Check them out. They make a lot of money doing what they do, and you have to bet a lot to make more. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some football conversation. And yes, in a segment after that, we'll have our special guest. We will be talking to former Packers, Panthers, and Seahawks guard Mike Wall here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Ella Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Shout out to Chaz and the crew. Thank you for joining us. It was a great long segment. And guys, definitely, if you're not following, go look at the Moneyline Mania. They are on point on their picks, their parlays. They've been on their point. I I, I would say they're at 80 some odd percent in their picks. So if you guys aren't listening to that segment, listen to what these guys are saying or listen to the replay. You can go to our website or you can go to our app and, and hear the replay of the show. I'm telling you guys right now, they are Dead on with a lot of their picks. All right, so why don't we get into football, Speedy? And it, it seems like now the offseason has started. Over the last couple of days, Sean McVay, there were stories coming out that he was going to leave the Rams and maybe sit down with Amazon because Amazon's going to have the football games on where you can actually buy the games and watch the games on Amazon. And McVay was asked to be a broadcaster. And they were supposedly the numbers were coming out that he was going to be offered five years, 100 million dollars which would be i think the most ever by a broadcaster it really is now troy aikman obviously took a contract to move away from fox which i was very surprised and he's heading over there to espn but espn is trying to build their brand back up again because the brand is completely faltered overpaying certain broadcasters that shouldn't be making it yeah and and then other broadcasters that were let go for no damn reason i i think it's horrible what's gone on with espn but you know this is the name of the game and you're gonna have to understand it's a make or break business and if you're not a commodity to these people, they're going to let you go. But it's very interesting when you look at where football is going this offseason. With all these players that are going to be available, this is probably the best free agency market we've seen in a very long time. I would say in the last 10 years. You have a lot of great players that are going to be available. Offensive linemen, defensive backs, a safety, defensive linemen. There are a tremendous amount of players, and, and the money that could be handed out to these players are, are remarkably crazy. With the CBA going up a little bit more this year, there will be a little bit more money to spend, but there are a lot of teams over the cap. We talk about the Rams. They're over the cap for another year. The Cowboys will be over the cap for another year. Now, the Cowboys could be trading away pieces. Amari Cooper could 
be on his way out. Uh, it's still going to hurt their cap. They could decide not to re-sign Van Der Esch and let him go to free agency, which more than likely could happen. Lawrence, Lawrence is probably on his way out. They're going to let him go. Uh, they're going to have to get a, get rid of a lot of pieces. And this team was a borderline championship-built team last year. I know Dak Prescott came back in the second half of the season. He didn't look as good as he did in the first half, maybe because of his ankle injury that he had in one of the games before the second half. I don't know what it was. But the fact is, you can't pinpoint what the Cowboys are going to do in the offseason and how they're going to move forward and make this team even better than they were last year. But you talk about these New York teams. uh, The Giants have new management. They have new coaching now. This is a completely different team. They're going to have a different defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, different coach. You're bringing in uh, a different GM, a different thought of where this team is going. Mara and Tish, they're going to take a step back even more this year because over the last couple of years, they've had more of their two cents more dig deep into this team, and it hasn't worked. It really hasn't. They brought in Dave Gettleman because he's been a part of the organization. It didn't work. The Giants for years have brought in guys that were a part or were former parts of the organization. Dable is not a part of the Giants organization. He never was. Now, he has coaches that have been the Bill Belichicks of the world. Obviously, he has an understanding of where and what this team is all about as an organization. And then you bring in a young guy like Joe Shane, a young guy. He's been a good assistant executive over there in Buffalo. He helped Buffalo rebuild that team that became a a Super Bowl contender. Now the Giants are hoping he could do the same with this team and and rebuild a, a mess that they have over there. They're way over the salary. Recap. They gave Kenny Galladay a 70 semi million dollar contract last year. They got to decide what they're doing with Saquon Barkley. Uh, are they keeping him? Are they, they trading him? They don't know where their quarterback position is going to. Are they drafting a quarterback in a non-drafting quarterback draft? I don't know. I don't think they're going to. And if they do, it's going to be in the later rounds. Are they going to go after a free agent? Are they going to go after a guy that could be a trade piece like uh, Russell Wilson? Kyler Murray, if he if he becomes available from Arizona. I don't know what the Giants are going to do, but this is a completely different realm for the New York Giants because if you look at what the Giants have done in the past, especially in the last 30, 40 years, they've brought in coaches that have been a part of the organizations. They brought GMs in that have been a part of the organization. This is a completely different realm. So the Giants are starting to move to another point of where they believe this organization should be moving in. Well, they're going to have quite a challenge. They're right now $11.5 million over the salary cap. Kenny Galladay's contract is untradeable. So they're going to try to do other things. Saquon Barkley has definitely been a name brought up. He was brought up during the trade deadline as well. And there will be teams that definitely are going to want to take a chance on his upside for a running back. Now, the Giants are not going to get a first, probably not even a second-round pick. They might get a third because he's still young and he's talented. But that's probably it at the rate they're going at with these injuries. And there will be a team that will end up taking a chance on him. Uh, James Bradbury is another one that they've talked about dangling as well. And teams are going to be looking for a corner. Now, He's regressed from what he was in 2020 and his last year with the Panthers, where he's more of kind of thought of as a low-end number one corner. But teams are going to be still looking for corners. You need corner depth. You need secondary depth to win in today's NFL. And teams are definitely going to be looking for that. Other ones I would consider looking at to move as well, 
you're not going to get much for him, but the Giants do have other young linebackers now, so Blake Martinez could be another contract they try to move. He has been very injury-prone since he's gotten there, but still has been one of the best run stoppers in the league when he is healthy. So a team might want to take a chance on them if they need a run defense. Teams like the Chargers that had terrible run defense last year, maybe that's something they go after. So the Giants are going to have to try to shed all these contracts, and Joe Shane is going to build, hopefully, from the book that Brandon Bean did where he really purged a lot of bad contracts in Buffalo when he first got there, too, and stuck to their rebuild. He didn't go after the fluke playoff season in 9-7 and seven where nobody expected the Bills to make the playoffs in 2017. They still stuck to that rebuild, got rid of a lot of veterans and drafted very well, filled a lot of the holes when they needed to. Look at the Bills now. They really don't have a lot of holes, so hopefully they can bring the same thing to the Giants. I, I think when you look at the other team playing in the same stadium, the Jets, I, I think the Jets are thinking and, and believing that Zach Wilson's going to take a leap from last year. A lot of the players that have been a part of the team and the growth of this kid this year believe that this kid is going to be the real deal. If you listen to LaDainian Tomlinson on the NFL Network, they asked LaDainian Tomlinson, who has been uh, an NFL superior running back, a uh, Hall of Famer. LaDainian Tomlinson said that Zach Wilson will take the biggest leap out of any of these young quarterbacks this coming year. I think a lot because Joe Douglas is going to rebuild this offense and put this offense in a good position. And Elijah Moore, who would have been a thousand yard player this year, he had five touchdowns and he was just getting better and better and better. He had five touchdowns. I mean, Jalen Waddell, he played in more games and only had six touchdowns and only had 300 more yards or something like that. Jalen Waddell, who was a, a bigger and a number one, a top 10 pick, Jalen Waddell didn't have as good a season as Elijah Moore. So Elijah Moore, who fell to the second round, I think he could be a number one for the Jets. I don't think the Jets are going to believe that until he plays a full season and he proves it. So what do the Jets do in the offseason at the wide receiving position is going to be very, very important. Are they going to bring in a free agent? Are they going to trade for one? But they don't want to give away pieces or draft stock, being that they have so many and so many players that they can draft in this year's draft where it's not going to cost them money for about four to five years, where they, they can really position themselves to really rebuild this and structure this team into a championship team every single year or a playoff team every single year where you have a chance to play and win. So they have the understanding of what the picture needs to be and what the picture should be for this organization that hasn't been for 50 years. So uh, hopefully Zach Wilson transitions into the player, maybe breaking up with his girlfriend uh, before the season was over will help his his understanding and, and studying. But I think Zach Wilson's a studier. He loves the game. And if you listen to every single uh, player that's been on a team, the guy is more dedicated to the game and understanding the game than anybody they've ever seen. And these, you're talking about veterans that have seen this guy watch more video and watch clips of games than any quarterback they've ever seen. So I think Zach Wilson has the understanding of what it is and what it needs to be to be great. And I, I think he will be that one way or another, e either next year or the year after. I can't see a circumstance for the New York Jets where they trade any of their first round picks just because I think they have to get a pass rusher with one of those picks. Whether they do it with 10 or whether they do it with 4, I think they're going to still try to get a pass rusher. They, there's, you mentioned the rumors they probably are going to take Kyle Hamilton at number mm -hmm. 4 or Evan Which Nielsen. I've heard a lot of stories and I was one of them. I don't want another safety, but if you watch the, the video of what this guy, Kyle Hamilton, could do on the field, not only as 
uh, a safety, but a, a slot corner, a guy that can intercept the ball, can change the, the, the momentum of a game. He, a lot of people believe, could be a leader of a defense and could be the backbone of a defense. So now I would say if the Jets drafted Kyle Hamilton at four, I wouldn't be upset. Right. Now, the point I was getting at is if they do do that, they maybe they go with Carl Loftus at 10 or they trade back and draft a Jermaine Johnson or David Ojabo. The point I'm trying to get at is the, the veteran pass rushers are taking up most of the free agency where I think the Jets maybe the way Joe Douglas has molded this team could afford to maybe sign one young or one veteran pass rusher to go alongside Carl Lawson, and then they draft another young pass rusher that could be more of a full-time player if one of these old guys can't play all the snaps. So I don't think they'll trade a first-round pick for a wide receiver. I think a second-round pick or even packaging Denzel Mims with a third-round pick makes a lot more sense. Now, in terms of the trade recipients, DK Metcalf and Calvin Ridley are the two main guys. I know a lot of Jets fans want DK Metcalf. I I worry about him being a scheme fit just because he's not a world-class route runner. Like, he's a fine route runner, but he's not. that's not his strength. I think Calvin Ridley would fit more in that mold because he's a much better route runner. And you saw this year, guys that weren't great route runners, Denzel Mims had to develop as a route runner, which they never really gave him a chance to do that. Corey Davis, not a great route runner, does not fit, obviously, with this Jets team and had a rough year, especially with drops as well this year. And they had to really limit him to those short routes because of that. If you're not a good route runner and not good motion player, you worry about that kind of thing in this Jets scheme. So I think Ridley would be a better fit if they go after that. But they could even draft a receiver too and if that's the case they're going to want to keep those second round picks draft somebody later they might trade down at 10 to get a wide receiver where they could get another first round in the future i've heard pittsburgh is trying to move up to 10 if pittsburgh moves up to 10 they're drafting at 20 just like the giants they can get an extra first round draft pick in 2023 they still get their two first round draft picks this year they still get the two players that they want and then they have another two first-round draft picks next year where they can value wheeling and dealing next year. Joe Douglas could really position this team to be very, very dangerous and, and, and a drafting commodity team moving forward for many, many years to come. And, and having that high top 10 pick sitting there at 10 where a team wants a quarterback or wants a certain particular player that they believe can get them over the hump next year, well, the Jets have the golden ticket. Mm-hmm. So I and think they're positioned very well. with all those second and third round picks, if they even don't get the receiver then, they might even trade back into the first round and get a receiver or something like that. Because there's a lot of receiving depth, not really for the top part of the draft, but that middle first round pick into the second round, there's a lot of talented players from Drake London to Garrett Wilson to Traylon Burks. Jamison Williams is going to fall because of his injury, so maybe the Jets get him in the second round if he's still there. Because remember, the Panthers pick is, is right near the Jets, so it's practically a first round pick. Mm-hmm. And they could trade back in and see Seattle's pick, and then they got the extra third and the extra fourth from Minnesota, too, with the Chris Herndon trade. So they have all different options that they could go for where they don't have to really go for positions specific. But there's also better free agent wide receivers, too, that they could go after, too. Whereas comparison to the pass rushers, they could still get somebody young and maybe affordable to the extent that Joe Douglas likes for the longevity. I believe the Jets are put in a position where they can absolutely value some of their picks and move some of their picks and still get a, a huge value, a huge bulk back for next year's draft where Again, I, I believe the Jets could put themselves in a very good position to do whatever they want next year as well. So Joe Douglas has done well in his first two drafts. I know a lot of people say his first one was eh, but he still added uh, Mackay Beckham, who before the season started, he was a top six tackle. And everybody keeps saying, get rid of him, trade him. I think they're out of their damn minds. If he's healthy this year and he's in shape, he's going to be a, a huge, huge growth picture of what this team could be offensively. Obviously, Elijah Veritaka could be an all-pro player in the future, and then Makai Beckham could be an all-pro player. We've seen what the Jets have done when they've had two all-pro players on their roster. 
DeBrickershaw Ferguson, and Nick Mangle. And now Elijah Vera Tucker represents the modern mold of a type of guard that you need, especially in that heavy motion offense that Mike LaFleur is going to bring there at its peak. Once those guys can move, downfield block, screen block, those are the modern mold of today's guards, too. And Elijah Vera Tucker, the way he's going, one of the best could rise running. into yes. possibly the best in the league, the way he's going. He's fast. He's big. He's strong. He could do a lot of things that other guards can't do. And you can even move him to the tackle, a tackle position on the mm-hmm. other side. You could do a lot of things with Elijah Vera Tucker. So the Jets are doing the things that they need to do. And who knows? Maybe at four, if Neal falls to the Jets, maybe the Jets yeah. say, you know what? Let's solidify our offensive line. We, could, we still have the 10th pick. We could still trade out of that 10th pick. Uh, and we could still get a player that we want up pass rusher sometime in the mid mid first round or maybe late first round. So they're a position to do very, very well in this year's draft, and I expect them to do nothing but the best for this organization moving forward. When we come back, we'll be talking to former Packers, Panthers, and Seattle Seahawks, yes, guard Mike Wall, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we finally got the guy on the show. We've been waiting for him, and here he is. We are now talking to former Packers, Panthers, and Seattle Seahawks guard, Mike Wall. What's going on, Mike? Hey, all good, guys. How you guys doing tonight? We are good, man. Tell us a little bit about not playing. You've been out of the NFL for a couple of years. What have you been doing? I've been reading a little bit about you. I, I checked out your podcast. What have you been doing since you haven't been in the NFL? I stopped playing in 2009. I went back in like 2014, started working on the other side of the ball as position coach, performance coach, develop, uh, skill development specialist. And now I have a platform I use process to perform. I help players, parents, and coaches kind of reach their that next level. We work on three tool sets. We work on mindset development, technical mastery, and ownership decisions. And I use those to help those aspiring athletes, even pro-level guys at this stage, kind of level up, get to that next contract, get to high school, to college, college, pro, et cetera. So we uh, have a lot of fun with it. There's the, the podcast, obviously, and then there's a couple of webinar sessions and platforms that we use to, to help accelerate development. What is it with these offensive linemen? They retire. They lose all this weight. I mean, you look fabulous from what you were Thank as you. an NFL player, I mean, you lost a lot of weight. What have you been doing? Listen, here's what happens, guys. You get tired of sweating walking upstairs. That sucks, right? <laughs> the other thing is all offensive linemen weigh about, let's say we weigh about 300 pounds. <laughs> Everybody I know went 50 pounds one way or the other, <laughs> right? You're down 220, 250, you're like 360. And you don't want to be at 360. So I just chose the lesser of the two evils, right? <laughs> I, I can't be big and strong anymore. That sucks. But uh, I don't sweat walking upstairs, so you take what you can get. Oh, I'm telling you, man. I, I see some of these guys that retire. They got like six, eight packs, and they're running in these triathlons and stuff like that. It's it's ridiculous. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career with the, the Packers? Most of your career was with the Packers. I think you played a little bit with Brett Favre, and you played with Aaron Rodgers. What was it like playing for two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? Yeah, so I didn't get a chance to play with Aaron. I moved on from uh, Green Bay in 2005. Right. I went to Carolina Panthers, took a free agent deal. That kind of started everything. There was a bunch of guys that was mass exodus from Green Bay. Ted Thompson became the general manager and started cleaning house a little bit. Brett got a little hot under the collar, and then you know that started his whole, is he, is he, isn't he going to retire? 
retire. I think they drafted Aaron the next year. He was sitting for three years, and then he, he started coming on the scene maybe 2008. I think that's right. Your company you're running now, you were talking about how you teach offensive line play for the most part. It seems like a lot of the, the game now is uh, moving towards more shifty offensive linemen in comparison to like the big mauler types. Do you see that kind of thing into the game now, and how does that differ the way you teach? Yeah, to answer your question, I don't only work with football players. I work with, with confrontational sports. Any confrontational sport, I work with those athletes, but to answer your question, you do see that shift. I think about 10 years ago, they started looking at more basketball types. What it's really done from a perspective of an old head who just likes running the ball and beating people up, it's kind of taken a lot of the, like that natural aggression that, that some of us had has kind of gone away. And so when you see a guy that's like a Quentin Nelson, that's like a Trent Williams, guys that are not only great athletes, but just have that mindset of I'm going to do some serious work, they stand out a little bit more now than maybe they did back then. I think there's a huge opportunity right now in football at the offensive line position to come in, be a technical master, but just be that kind of guy that wants to finish through the whistle, finish through the, the echo of the whistle, right, and be able to put guys on piles again. Guys like that are hot commodity, man. They can make a ton of money in this league, be famous, do all the things they want to do because there's just a very large amount of basketball players who just aren't really about that life. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Packers, Panthers, and Seahawks guard Mike Wall. You talk about the offensive line, and it's five guys playing on the offensive line. They all have to work together. And really getting the quarterback and protecting the quarterback and putting the quarterback into position to make the right play and the right throw. When you look at some of the quarterbacks these days and some of the offensive linemen in these days, is there an offensive lineman that you see in the league right now that reminds you of you? When you played the game? I really like the guys in Cleveland. I think both Batonio and Wyatt Teller, I think those guys are just solid. They're guys that weren't necessarily the biggest commodities coming out, but they're extremely well coached. They're very professional. And I think they have a motto, the same motto we have, man. It's like you work hard, you kick ass, and you enjoy doing both. I love that attitude. I love the way they finish. Master technicians, just solid, solid players. There's a handful of guys in the league that can really play right now. But I would say that the level of play between the elite and then everybody else is pretty steep. You look at guys like Quentin Nelson, you look at Batonio and those guys, the difference between them and even the middle tier guys, I think is pretty drastic right now. And again, it's a testament how hard they work. So I want to go back to the Packers and you got a teammate that was just inducted into the Hall of Fame in Leroy Butler. So what was he like as a teammate on and off the field? Yeah, he was awesome, man. So Leroy, he was the leader of the team, him and Reggie, leader of the defense, at least when I got there in 1998. They still had an awesome defense. I want to say they were ranked in, in the top three in defense that year. I think Reggie had one of his better sack years, and then he went on to retire that year and then eventually ended up in Carolina. But the thing about those guys is they really know how to run a locker room. They weren't just leaders on the field. They were leaders off the field, the way they carried themselves. And the thing I learned from guys like Leroy, guys like Brett, guys like, like Reggie was, you know, in football, you always think you have to manufacture emotion, right? We think we have to get up and really get hyped up, listen to Pantera, bang our head against the wall, <laughs> right? We all watch the program, all this crazy stuff they're doing in there because, you know, at base level, it's one of those sports that you're, you're a little bit afraid. People come in afraid. They've, they've been taught that, okay, you might get hurt. You might get embarrassed. You might get physically manhandled by somebody else. So we try to manufacture emotion. And what those guys taught me, Leroy in particular, is, man, if you, if you just work hard, you confident in your preparation, you can go out on Sundays and you don't have to manufacture anything. You can just be good. Like, it's okay to be good. It's okay to just be good. Know you're going to have a good game. Know you're going to dominate your opponent. Love doing what you do. Love working with the people that, that you're working with and enjoy yourself. And, and I think that was probably the best lesson that that group of leaders taught me. We are talking to former Packers, Panthers, and Seahawks guard Mike Wall. Mike, we have had a lot of ex-NFL players on the show, and we talk about this because it's really affected the NFL for the last six, seven years, the CTE situation with the brain trauma, the concussion trauma. We saw that in the Super Bowl with the concussions throughout the playoffs. When you look at 
all these stories, Roger Goodell, the NFL getting sued for over $100 million. And you look at these players, I don't think these players have been taking care of enough, even with the lawsuit that they have. When you look at all the things that we've heard and all these players, Patrick Willis retiring early, the Brickershaw Ferguson retiring early, all these great young superstar players, Calvin Johnson retiring early. Are you surprised? And do you like what the NFL is doing moving forward the way the league has changed? In terms of safety protocols? Yes. Honestly, I think it's dishing. The league's there to make money, Mm -hmm. right? The league's there to make money for their owners. So everything they're doing is based off that fact, right? So anything they do from a safety perspective, and we've seen it already, they cut down the amount of contact we can have. They try to eliminate a lot of the penalties that really affect defensive players, right? Which is allowed, honestly, to a poor brand of football that showed up. Like quarterbacks are basically not getting punished for making bad throws because the defenders can't take the heads off their receivers. <laughs> but everything they do, if we get down to it, I'm a little bit cynical about it probably, mm-hmm. but when you get down to it, they're really just trying to extend the season. They already did it to 17 games. I'm sure they're going to try to do it to 18. That whole thing is really a money grab. How much are they really trying to help out those ex-players? There's a reason they're their lawsuits, right? They're lawsuits because they're not going quiet. When you ask me, am I happy with the job they're doing from that perspective? Anything that you can do to elongate somebody's career is probably a good thing. As long as it's not at the expense of the purity of the sport or what that person can do in their own way to kind of make themselves stand out and have the career that they want. I don't necessarily like all the rule changes that have come about because I think it takes away from a lot of the, the kind of the visceral action of the sport that I love, the part of the violence and all of that that I really of enjoyed. Course. I think taking away headshots and putting in knee shots and ankle shots is not a net win at all. There's a lot of things going around, but certainly using proper form, like tackling with shoulder tackling, the, the advent of shoulder tackling and making that a thing now, making that a best practice method, understanding that that's not just a safety thing, that's a performance thing. Of course. Like you tackle people to the ground better when you're able to go shoulder contact. So there's some of these things that have been instituted that are great, I think, but overall, I always kind of look at the NFL as they're really just trying to make as much money as they can for the owners, and we'll leave it at that. So is there anything specific you would change about the way they're operating in those areas? Maybe you're you're saying the rule change is obviously one that you would go back to some old school rules, but is there anything under the radar that you would do if you were well, I mean, in the NFL? Listen, guys, it's as simple as this, right? You take away practice time from teams, and now the teams don't operate at the same level. Like, you guys watch the sport maybe, and you see all these great athlete schemes. I watch guys kind of fumbling around with their footwork. I watch guys that are going into contact in wrong body positions. So that's the kind of stuff that I watch. And so when I see the guys aren't operating necessarily as high a level as they used to, I look at it like we should be practicing more, but for a number of reasons, we can go into the Jeff Saturday stories, all why we're not allowed to put a ball in our hands until April. There's a bunch of stuff that's happened from here to there, but ultimately I just want to see the best product out on the field as we can. And as long as they're working towards doing that, like I'm all for it. You talk about the athletic ability that some of these players have now. You talk about the offensive linemen. You saw a couple of years ago, Makai Beckham, he's 360 pounds. He runs a 5'5". It's ridiculous what these offensive tackles are running now. I can't wait to see what some of these tackles this year are going to run. Are you surprised of the athletic ability and the transition of what when you played the game and what they've turned into now, beast bohemoths that are just unbelievable athletes? Walter Jones ran a 4.65. Remember that name? Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember Walter Jones. Yep. Walter Jones ran a 4.65. That was a great tight end time about eight years ago. Yes. Right? So I kind of look at it maybe a little bit differently than a lot of people. You have some big, tall, heavy guys that can you know, run a 5.5. Five, but Kai Beckton's an absolute unit, man. I'm not disrespecting him at all. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a great career. I just think that on par – with the amount of humans are going to evolve, continue to evolve generation to generation. But when I see these guys coming in, they're not necessarily as strong as they used to be because that point of emphasis isn't what it used to be, right? It's not much of a smash mouth football game. The game's change, the game's evolved. So we see these guys now, and I'm always kind of really interested in 
how they bend, how they move. Certainly a guy like Mackay Becton, super, super impressive. But I look at a guy who's like 33 years old, like Trent Williams, and I go, that's probably the most impressive dude in the league right now, and he's 33. <laughs> so I see Andrew Whitworth playing at 40. I'm like, how the hell is he playing at 40? I'm 44. I feel like I'm going to die every morning, and he's playing in the Super Bowl at 40 years old. So I'm just impressed with those guys, right? I, I start getting impressed by the guys who have the durability and the sustainability of a long term to be that kind of athlete. Those guys are special, man. So back to the other side of the ball. Is there a particular pass rusher or defensive lineman that was the hardest to face in your career? So who would that be and why? Oh, man, I came into the league. I was in the NFC North. So we had Luther Ellis. Back then, Warren Sapp. We had this dude named John Randall from the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know if you heard of him. I'll tell you, the worst feeling in the world is I lined up my second year. I was starting at left guard. I remember the first third and eighth, first third down. I heard he like talked and I heard he would study the media guide. I had a nickname. I was nicknamed after Ronnie Beagle who played in the Naval Academy in 1945 because my friends called me Beagle. So third and eight, man, we're in the huddle. And I just hear Beagle. (laughs) And I turn around. I was like, oh, I'm coming. I turned back around. I'm in some real trouble. That guy was unbelievable. He was so good. He would beat you and then he would spin back into place and then he'd beat you again and get a sack on the third move. Like, he was that nasty. (laughs) By the way, we are talking to ex-NFL player, Packers, Panthers, and Seahawks guard, Mike Wall. You played for Navy. What was it like playing in the Army-Navy game? Everybody talks about it. Uh, It's a crazy game. Both teams can't stand each other. What is it like playing in those big games? It's cool. The pop and circumstance around that game is awesome. And what's nuts about that game is like, I think back in the day when we were playing, both teams were like top 25. So we were good, not great. And we're never going to be confused with Ohio State or anything, right? Mm -hmm. But we had pretty competitive teams. They put these videos up on the screen during all the timeouts, and they're from all over the world. Bering Straits, Afghanistan, every base in the world is putting together these like hype videos. And you just realize, like, man, people actually care about this. Like, they really care. The work shift is stopped at these bases to watch this game. It was pretty gnarly because I think we were independent. Mm-hmm. And the biggest game we played every year was Notre Dame. But that wasn't a game that we were expected to win. This game, you kind of came in. And I think that was the only game on that Saturday before they started having some of these, like, Big 12, Pac-12 championships on that day. That was the only game in town. So all eyes were on us. It was our time to kind of shine. And it was a lot of fun. It's a special moment for sure. So what was the Naval Academy experience like outside of football? What was the training like? What did you end up doing? I I wasn't built out to be in the Navy. I I always tell guys this. There's three kinds of people that went to the Naval Academy. There's guys like me who... I wanted to play Division One college ball, and that was my option. There's a handful of guys like me, and then there's a handful of guys who, like, got their lunch money stolen every day in, in high school, and they were like, we're going here to make up for that. Like, we're going to be that. We're going to be these hard-o kind of cadre guys. In the academy, you gain authority just by getting older. It's not merit-based. There's a handful of those guys, too. And then there's this, like, really sweet spot of great high school student-athletes, good dudes, probably chess club president, class president, ran some school newspaper, whatever, just good human beings. And those guys are the people that should be there. They should just dump the rest of us and they should all be there. Cause I, I was there and, and I love the friends that I made, the relationships that I had with, with football, but being in the military or being the, at the Academy really wasn't the college experience I was looking for. As you guys know, we are talking to former Packers, Panthers and Seahawks guard, Mike wall. Last question for us before we let you go. Cause we know you're a busy guy. You got a family and you're getting ready for whatever you're going to be doing tomorrow, and we don't want to bother you too long. Your favorite Brett Favre story. Is there a, a story that you can remember that you can tell everybody about Brett Favre, of the player that he is on and off the field? Well, everybody usually points to the game, the, the Monday night game against the Raiders. After With his, his father, passed yes. Away. yes. 
That was the heaviest football game. That's the heaviest thing I've ever been a part of. What he did that day, that was the most legendary sports thing I've ever been a part of, I've ever seen. can't make up how well he played under those circumstances and how it's just like every single thing that day worked and how down he was. He was on tears the entire time on the sidelines. Everybody was emotional. It was nuts. Having said that, that dude was one of the best jokesters you've ever been around. I'll never forget. So I'm not going to name the coach, but during a preseason game, Brett's like, hey, you need to stand in front of me. I got to take a leak, and they weren't allowed to go into the tunnel. So he ends up on the sidelines taking a leak all over the back of this guy's pants. <laughs> <laughs> Just spraying him in the middle of like the, you know, the second or third quarter. He's already out of the game in the preseason game. He was going like, only a quarterback could get away with doing that. <laughs> you mean only Brett Favre could get away with doing that? Brett's the kind of guy that, like, like he put Icy Hot in the front of my forehead pad of my helmet one day on a Friday after we had Fast Fridays. <laughs> you put Icy Hot on your forehead, you start sweating, right? It gets in your eyes. Mm. And I'm bald. So, like, I got some real problems. <laughs> I got snot, tears everywhere, ah, you know? And I'm thinking, I am going to kill whoever did this. This person is dead. Their car is gone. I'm going to flip their car over. I'm not sure. But you find out it's the quarterback, and you find out not as the quarterback, it was Brett. And you go, ah, good one, man. You got me good. Like, what else are you going to do? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and you don't want to get him angry because he'll be telling the coach to sit you. So there you go. <laughs> I know Legendary, all about that. Man. Absolutely. One of the greatest quarterbacks ever played the game. Mike, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media? Yeah, check me out on Twitter, MikeWall68, W-A-H-L-E, MikeWall68 on Twitter, and the process to perform on Instagram. Mike, we would definitely like to get you on very, very soon. As the offseason progresses and free agency and then obviously the draft because you work with a lot of these kids, maybe during our draft show, maybe we'll get you on and we'll talk a little bit about the draft. Maybe you know some of the kids that are going to be drafted in the first, second, third round. There's a lot of interior offensive linemen. Absolutely. Maybe we'll get some information from you so everybody can get to know the player and, and the strengths and the weaknesses of the offensive linemen that are in this year's draft. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Mike Wall, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to those Brett Favre stories. Who would have thought that he was going to give us a funny Brett Favre story? Brett Favre in the middle of a game on a field, whistling on one of his coach's leg. It's very interesting, but it sounds a lot like Brett. Definitely a personality. Mike is, is a great guy, great guest, and, and we've had a, so many great guests on this show, and if you guys haven't heard this interview, you missed something really, really good, and you can actually go to our website or go to our app and check it out as well. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, what do we got? We got crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I need to shave my hair, Petey. Nope. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into crunch time, I will say this about hockey. And I know a lot of people said, why didn't you talk about hockey? It's, it's still, obviously, after the All-Star break, 
the Rangers are starting to get back into form, and they look like they are. I think they're 3-1 and one, uh, since the All-Star break. The Islanders are playing pretty good hockey right now as well, but I think it's a little too late for the Islanders. I don't believe the Islanders are going to make the playoffs this year because of everything that's happened. But uh, the trade deadline's right around the corner. I think there's a couple of really good players that can help the Islanders back, you know, next year because they're under contract. Uh, I was just talking to Tyler Harrison, who was a part of the Sports Loudmouths, uh, who just left our, our show because he you know, had family issues and stuff like that. Uh, he even said to me that Patrick Kane is a guy that it's something that Lou Lamorello would probably go after. I don't think it's Patrick Kane that they go after. I think the if the Islanders are smart, they wait until the offseason. They have money to spend. They go after, uh, I think, Philip Forsberg is the guy. Mm. I think he's having a great season. I think he would fit so well with Barzell, uh, with his hands. And he's, he's the, to me, he's the predominant right winger the Islanders need. You can put Anders Lee on the left side and you have Barcelona. You're talking about one of the best lines in hockey and you don't have to give away pieces. You don't have to give away defensemen, offensemen, and maybe first round draft picks. So I think Lou doesn't believe that this team is a playoff team going into this uh, trade deadline. Maybe trade away Bailey or pieces that you're not going to use and and give yourself more, even more room to to make a move for a Philip uh, Philip Forsberg who's only going to be demanding probably a fifty million dollar contract, which right. it, it makes a lot of sense for the they could still add another player. Right. So I, I think wait until the offseason. he'll be available. Uh, the Calgary Flames kid is going to be available Goudreau, too. Yep. Goudreau's uh, very much available if if Calgary doesn't re-sign him. They can make their pick on who they want and add that player that you wanted to put with Barzell. And and Barzell going into next year has still two more years left on his contract before he becomes a free agent again. And by the time he becomes a free agent, you'll be able to pay him as well. Another so. name the Islanders should look at too, staying in Canada, West Canada, Kyle Connor from the Winnipeg Jets, another young kid who's been a 30-goal scorer in I think three different seasons so far. Yes. Uh, and the other guy that has a very good speed, underrated physicality, too. Yes, and I think that's what the Islanders need to to think about. Don't make any drastic moves at the trade deadline. You're not making the playoffs. I, it's going to be very hard right. for them to squeak into the playoffs right now. It's just been a, a hard season. You know, uh, I know Islander fans are upset because the Rangers are there and the Islanders aren't. But the Rangers have been dealing with that for the last couple of years, too, watching the Islanders' success. And the Islanders are still fairly young. So they still have their core players that were just re-signed. They get back on the horse next year, and they'll be a contender next year if they had a, a Philip Forsberg or a Goudreau or somebody like that. If the Islanders add one of those players or another player to be in that, you're talking about they'll be, they were a Stanley Cup uh, contender this year. With the players that they had. A lot of people picked the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup this year. And now you lose Parisi maybe. Maybe they re-sign Parisi and they get rid of Chara. Next year that you add Goudreau or Philip Forsberg, you're even better of a team. So maybe you're not the favorite because you're, you you didn't make the playoffs last year, but you're going to be one of them. A lot of people are going to uh, believe in your team and believe in what you're going to do. So uh, hopefully uh, they, they make a, a run for that. And I think they stay away from making any drastic moves at the trade deadline. Uh, Speedy, are you ready? Yep. It is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So like last week, we'll do one for sport. We'll stay with hockey. Here's the one hockey one for today. We'll go to the Rangers. Buy or sell. The Rangers will trade for former Ranger JT Miller. 
I'm going to sell it. I don't think I think they'll make a trade. I, I just don't think they're going to make a trade for JT Miller. I know obviously he's on Vancouver. He's having a great season. He, he's an All Star. I, I think he's been fantastic throughout the season. He was been he's been really the best player on that Vancouver Canucks team. But I you're going to have to give up a lot for him. He's not going to be free. He's not going to be a guy that you're just going to get for a second round draft pick. So I am going to sell. Them. I'm going to sell it too. I think it'll be more of a veteran guy that they're going to go after just because the Rangers are still trying to deal with some salary cap situation and the price for JT Miller is going very much it's up from high. Vancouver, especially if they do get rid of their. What's he have? Twenty two goals. Twenty three yeah. goals. Especially if they do get rid of their GM too, which they're rumored to do. A new GM might be trying to make it harder for them to make that kind of trade. So I agree with you. I will sell it. All right, one for college basketball. Jawan Howard, he threw a punch, got suspended for the remainder of the regular season. Buy or sell. If Michigan does not make the tournament, they will fire Jawan Howard at the end of the season. Sell it. It's not going to happen. This is a team that was in the Elite Eight last year or something like that. So uh, this is still a a team that has a – first of all, they have a lot of good young players uh, and and good young players wanting to come over there and play for Jawan Howard because he was an NBA player and he can help them grow into NBA players, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think Jawan Howard is going to be given that, at least one more chance. Maybe, again, maybe if they get the aggressive reputation continuing further, they might consider. Now, they went for a quick swap from John Beeline once he left for the Cavaliers to Jawan Howard, so if there's anyone that maybe could get the program, keep going, it could be Michigan, but I don't think they'll do it after one year. They're going to give him a chance next year. If there's still more aggression, maybe they'll do it then, so I am going to sell it as well. Alright, buy or sell. The Rams will be able to re-sign both OBJ and Von Miller. Mm. I'm going to sell that. There's no way in hell. Unless OBJ uh, takes a lot less money in going into the offseason, maybe because of his injury and maybe top-heavy at the year after, I, I can't see it happening. OBJ is going to want money. This could be uh, his last contract as an NFL player. Uh, remember, he's pushing 30 now, so... I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it because I think, one, Andrew Whitworth, I think he's going to end up retiring, so his money will come off. And I think between the rest of their free agents, Darius Williams, uh, David Edwards is an offensive lineman, I think they'll be able to shed enough. And I do think the injury for OBJ is going to hurt his market as well. I think he'll test free agency, but I still don't think teams are going to push as hard as before the injury when he was playing well in the postseason. So I think they'll benefit them in the end. I will actually buy it. All right, one basketball one. Buy or sell. The Lakers will finish below 500 now with Anthony Davis injured. They are currently 27 and 32. Sell it. I think the Lakers will have one of those spurts uh, where LeBron is going to try to get this team in the playoffs and squeak into the playoffs. And if they do, they'll be very, very dangerous. I am going to sell it. There's no way. I'm going to buy it. I think they still make the playoffs, but with the 10 teams now making it, I do think they could still be under 500 and still be like a 9 seed, still be a 10 seed and get into the playoffs. I agree they'll be a tough out if they do get in just because of playoff LeBron. But regular season over five, under 500, I think it happens. I We'll buy it. All right, one baseball one. The MLB season will be less than 100 games if it does happen. Yes, I'm buying that 100%. I, I can't see them coming to agree on Monday. I think it's going to take a little bit longer. It could take another week or two, maybe even longer than that. I'll buy it. Yeah, buy I'm going to buy it as well. I think at this rate, there's really only small progressions being made. I think the DH thing was inevitable, so I think that would have happened no matter how many games are left. And so many players are pushing for these shorter seasons now. Now, I don't think every season is going to be less than 100 games going forward, but definitely this 2022 season at the rate this lockout is going. I'm going to buy it as well. There's so much stalling. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Crunch time as always. I will say this. It was a great show. I want to give a shout out to all the fans, all the people that listen to us every single week. Uh, Moneyline Mania, Chaz and the crew for helping us and and, and really giving us uh, your expertise when it comes to sports betting. Uh, and every single week, these guys are dead on. I think they're 
right now in the last two weeks that they've been on our show since they started with us, I think they're at 82 or 83% on the show. They've been fantastic. Um, And maybe this week they'll be even better. They had two really good handicappers, Hector and Jonathan. Jonathan is a lifelong handicapper. This is what he does for a living. He's one of the best handicappers in the country. That's how good he is. Uh, He makes thousands upon thousands of dollars. So if you guys didn't listen to the show today, you missed out on a, a very good opportunity to make some money. Uh, but uh, shout-out to Chaz. Shout-out to Mike Wall, uh, ex-Packers, Panthers, and Seahawk that joined us. A great interview. Some of the great stories that he gave us. Fantastic. Uh, and, and really, I really appreciate all the great guests that we've had on this show for the past, uh, I would say, the past year. So thank you, Speedy, for doing uh, and putting the work in to get these fabulous guests on our show. Uh, next week, we'll be back. We'll have new guests, and we'll be a lot more funnier and uh, just a lot more to talk sports with everything going on here in New York and throughout um, throughout the sports world. And shout-out to uh, the United States and, and what's going on overseas with Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I wish nothing but the best to Ukraine, and hopefully uh, this war you know dies out more sooner than later. This is yeah. har- horrible what's going on right now. I don't want another world war. I don't want to see people, innocent people, die uh, because of their lands and what they have on their lands. It's just horrible what's going on in the world, and I can only hope that it's going to get better. Um, again, uh, we wish everybody a very happy weekend and a happy week. We'll be back next Saturday. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.